As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to Stars Matter, a recruiting podcast from The Athletic. I'm Mitch Light. Joined by Ari Wasserman, and this week, Ari, we have our first two-time guest to Stars Matter, Andy Staples, and I can tell by that reaction right there, Andy, you did not know that no. you were the first two-time guest. Are you honored? I am honored. Wow, a repeat Well, his guest. name is on the feed. Well, I mean, well, the money in Vegas had Max Olson, probably. If you're doing a recruiting podcast and you're looking at athletic employees, Max Olson would probably be the favorite to be the first two-time guest. He is but the it, portal authority. Yes, but Andy, it's you. Now, I did make Max do a podcast with me on Tuesday night after Bob Bowlesby resigned. So Max is probably, you know, about podcasted out. This so week. that's why he didn't respond to me when I was editing that story last night. So there, there you go. go. All right. Today, we'll look at some notable commitments from the class of 2023, including a recent five star. Plus, we're going to look at what positions are coming off the board the quickest in the 2023 class. It's sort of a trivia question. It's not the official trivia question, so Ari, keep that in mind. We've got one more final star from the class of 2022 who's about to commit. We'll talk about David Ubbins' story uh, that published today, A Nightmare in Home Visits. Ari, I hope you did your homework and read that story. If not, you'll have to fake it, like which you probably did in school a lot, pretending to read something. <laughs> And then I we did, will, and I got a three Okay, we'll we'll, we'll dip into Oops. the. We'll, we'll see what great you get for this. Yeah, we'll see what. Well, I mean, it's pretty good for, for zero effort. Yeah, <laughs> I suppose. And um, <laughs> we'll dip into the mailbag, and we will have the official trivia question. But I guess there's two notable things that happened in recruiting. One for the 2022 class, Lebius Overton, a defensive tackle from Georgia, who reclassified to 2022 committed to Texas A&M, adding to already a record-breaking class. And then on Friday night, um, Josh Connerly Jr., the last remaining five-star from 2022 from the Seattle area, is committing. And by all accounts, it's going to be USC. So Ari, first of all... It's not going to be Washington, I'll tell you that It's not going to be Washington. Uh, first, let's get to Overton. You know, you wrote about it in this week in recruiting. Just that's all they needed. Not only do they need another five star, let's give them another defensive lineman. Yeah, I mean, do you. So this is a record breaking class because you made me look that up, and this is the first time in the history of of modern day recruiting that a team has signed eight five star prospects, which is pretty insane. 
But on top of that, and I guess it, it kind of goes hand in hand, but they've also signed eight of the top 25 players in the country, which is like a third of, of the most elite players. Um, and I, and Andy, you might jump in on this, but because Florida's 2010 class was nasty, but this is on paper the best class of all time. I mean, like eight, eight of yeah. the top 25. I, I how could I don't even know if you could ever even do better than that. Like, there's there's the got to be a ceiling too. I mean, Andy, speak right. to well, that. Like, I mean, in an era Florida's, when was, Florida's was like that because it had Ronald Powell and, and Dominic Easley and Sharif Floyd. Now, if Powell had not had knee issues and had lived up, because I believe Powell is, is he still the highest rated recruit of all time? He's one of four with perfect score, right? Right. So, you know, if he if he had lived up to that hype, because Easley and Floyd were both first rounders, I think Matt Elam was in that class as well and was a first rounder. So maybe maybe. But in terms of depth on the D line, I don't think I've ever seen a class like this. And I'm not used to many schools signing this many defensive linemen, period. A lot of times, you know, you're just not going to take that many. But if people at this level that, that and I realize, look, the rankings are what they are. But all you had to do is look at the schools that wanted these guys. These are takes for pretty much every school. If they want to come together, let them. I mean, it, there's not enough snaps to go around, but you let that sort itself out. You, I don't care how good you are. You cannot say no to a five-star defensive lineman. Ari, you, you mentioned this in this week, and we've talked about this on the podcast. Alabama, The state of Alabama's elite 2023 class and how many guys will end up at Alabama – but that's also position heavy. I think three of the five, three of the five five stars in Alabama this year are cornerbacks. Now I, I don't have no Alabama's roster off the top of my head. I'm sure they could find room for all three if they want to get there. But it's also very defensive line find, heavy. They can find room for all three on the field at the same time if they want to. They, yeah, they listen, really listen. only recruit corners for the you know for yeah. the secondary anymore. There's no such thing as a core uh, a player that's a five star prospect who plays a position you don't have room for. There, there, you have a room for a five star athlete. No matter what, I don't care what your Ohio best State, chart looks not like. Recruiting a five, you know, they're not recruiting. There's quarterback. If Ohio State isn't recruiting a, a five-star player, oh yeah, you don't think yeah. if Arch Manning called up and said, "Hey, I'd like to come up to Columbus," they'd find room for him? I guess so. There, there, there isn't a single, there isn't a single position player at any roster that you don't take, uh, no matter what. Um, especially now <laughs> when players are leaving just as quickly as they're coming in. But the thing that I wanted to say about A and M more so than anything is that they got. Player, I mean, 16 out of their 26 or 7, I don't remember what it was, commitments were from the state of Texas. So they did, did a great job of of, do, of taking care of home. But they got two out of Florida, four out of Georgia, two out of Louisiana, two out of Washington, one out of Arizona, one out of Pennsylvania, and one out of Tennessee, who I think was the first or the number one player in the country. Yes. So like whatever they did last year, um, and I guess everybody's like going to scream NIL into their computer screens. And if that's, if that's what you think, then that's what you think. But... That is high. Like I, I couldn't say a single negative thing about what they did last year. And did you have a prompt that had nothing to do with AM that I just went back to because I'm a huge Aggie homer? No, we're talking about Overton. You know, that, that was fair. Oh, yeah, fair yeah. Um, yeah. But also, you can uh, talk about Connerly, too, or Connerly, I guess it is. Um, we've talked enough about yeah. how it's a blow for him not to go to Washington. The fact that, you know, it looks like it's USC. They've got a small class. What is it, 12, 12 commits? So this is, this is, a, big, this is a big get. But I want to ask Andy this, and I'll ask you too, Mitch, but if there's any conference in the country where the most important player isn't quarterback, would you say that, and maybe it's always quarterback, uh, but just for the sake of discussion, in the SEC, if you don't recruit defensive linemen, you've got no shot, right? Correct. So like, is this like, I mean, 
to me, this is, it seems like an abundance at one position. And I guess that if you sign a bunch of players and they're all in the same position, then it might have a hard time, hard time having that impact. Cause if they're not on the field, they're not impacting the game, but at defensive line, I think that that is completely not true. Well, it's also, it's not the same position. Like going back to the A&M class, Walter Nolan and Shamar Stewart don't play the same position, right? They're different people. They, they play different roles on the defensive line uh, and, and offensive lines the same way. I, I, I think they're they're equally important, and you know if you if you recruit well in a line of scrimmage, you can cover up almost everything else. Uh, the quarterback is still going to be the most important, but I think what Georgia showed us last year is that if you have dudes on both sides of the line of scrimmage, you can play with anybody. And what this does, it just whatever the hit rate is on five stars, let's say it's sixty percent, seventy percent, it just increases their chances of having four or five absolute studs in the field at the same time. Right. And I mean, that's the thing with A&M. Like, yeah, some of these guys are going to transfer. It's okay. And I, it's, it's not a big deal. Like, How many do they have to hit on? If they have 16 top 100 players, how many do they have to hit on to be an elite team in two years? Even, even a 50%, 50% hit rate is what I would say. It gives you eight Which is top low. 100 players that, 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 that hit. That how hits. many other classes have had that? Because that's what people don't remember. Like, oh, half of them are going to transfer. Who cares if eight of them hit? Right. They literally, well, it, their, some their of the ones that don't hit stacked. are still going to be good players. Like, let's say you have four absolute busts who can't play in the SEC. Those other four are still going to be good players. They could be solid backups. So, yeah. I mean, what I guess what do we can constitute as a hit? Is a hit like all conference really good all conference player or a just a starter? Star. I think a, 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 a starter, multiple year starter who gets drafted. Yeah. Probably, you know, drafted probably in the first four rounds. So are, I, I, I would go as far as say drafted. Yeah, all, all conference doesn't really always tell the story because there, there can be politics involved. It can sure. be a guy who blows up in his last year. But if, if the NFL says he's a, a top four round draft pick, he's pretty good. So. So are you... Conerly to USC, obviously very important for the Pac-12, I'd say, to oh, keep yeah. him in the footprint. Oh, yeah. Well, because he wasn't going to be staying at Washington. So the fact of the matter is, and he hasn't, he hasn't announced his decision yet, so I guess we have to suspend some right, some thoughts. Like no, some, somebody, that's, that's what the yeah, somebody commented on my story that he could go to Oregon. I wouldn't hold your breath, but you know, you never know, I guess. The thing about this isn't just – because like, I think Washington is a West Coast – like, I don't know how much you want to emphasize the national success of that because it's a West Coast team. You know, it's still a really, really far long, a far away place from Southern California. So, I mean, I guess to a certain extent, it's a national recruit. But the thing that I'm, I'm excited about for USC and my $1,000 bet with Andy that they'll make the playoff in three years is that their number one weakness as a program has been line play. So if, if Lincoln Riley is going to open up the the program into to going and getting – five-star offensive tackles that live a four, I mean, a two-and-a-half-hour flight away from where you are, you do that. And it's just like we all know in this in this podcast and anybody listening that Clay Helton's not going to get in that guy, you know, and, and we're talking about a recruit, too, that had really been leaning towards Michigan for a long time, took official visits to multiple places. And, right, and maybe Chris part Baldwin of the recruit had recruited yeah, from yeah, Oregon and Yeah, Miami. yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and we're talking about somebody who seemed to delay his decision because when he was – you know, considering Michigan, Jim Harbaugh, you know, NFL rumors were flying high, and then Lincoln Riley comes in and, and turns the the heat on, and you know, next thing you know, we're in in April, and he's about to make a decision. So if he he picks USC, which is what we're all anticipating, that's the exact type of 
thing that you want to see out of USC if all the hype that I'm pumping into that program is true. And it's not just just California um, and skill position players. This is, an, you know, if they're going to ever make the playoff or win a playoff game, we all know that they're going to have to do more than just recruit Southern California. So this is a really good sign at a position of great need in a state that's far away. Um, I think it's a home run. I think it might. I think you can make the case that outside of Malachi Nelson, this would be the most important commit that they've gotten in either yep. class. Or you know, so they, they they've recruited highly rated linemen throughout oh, sure, the years. Sure, they just sure. haven't done anything with them. Yeah, yeah. But you know, that's like I think that the appeal when you think about Lincoln Riley at USC is like, oh, what cool five star quarterback from Atlanta is USC going to be in the mix for next year or whatever? And it's just like I don't think people necessarily view Lincoln Riley. And of course, he's had great offenses, but it, synonymously with uh, high-end offensive line play. So attracting that, I think, is it is. Well, I think people I'm not saying people surprising. Bill Bedenboe with yeah high-end offensive I'm not line saying play, it's surprising. but he stayed in Oklahoma. He didn't come with Riley. Yeah, I just think it's a very, very good uh, early return on that investment. Big investment, well, big return. Well, well, we'll see. I mean, again, one five. Like, give me a whole class full of them. Then, then we'll talk because, again, they have been recruiting good offensive linemen or, or highly He's about touted to offensive linemen. Sign a class that has nine people in it if he joins, and half of them are in the top 100, and the only half that aren't are, are or all of them came after right. he got hired. So it sounds like Pete Carroll classes, which is what you got to do. That's all I, yeah, you know what I care about. Yeah, it's what you got to do. I want, I want Pete Carroll classes. All right, some other commitments uh, from 2023. Penn State flipped a tight end from your favorite state, Ari, Massachusetts. Um, can we talk about how funny that is? Do you do? Go, like, go do you, why don't you? What can you do it so people don't get mad at me? You know what I'm. You know exactly what I'm thinking, right? Uh, about the Massachusetts pipeline that it. Yeah, and the fact up. that Don Brown is now the head coach at Massachusetts and. Um, so Penn State flips. Two, not not only flips did they get him away from Don Brown, end. they got him away from Michigan. The, uh, no, it's just it's so funny how much they invested in, in Michigan fans were defending their Massachusetts pipeline when it didn't make any sense. And I know a few guys hit. Okay, I'm not saying it's a complete. And this waste, is the year to have one though. It's, it's yeah, the and a, this is like the best Massachusetts class in the history of recruiting. And don't they have like a really good quarterback who's committed somewhere? Where's, uh, the, where's Nebraska? Mass- Nebraska. Yeah, he's, Nebraska. He's a three star, top 500 player. Um, okay. But, it's Massachusetts, though. This is yeah. This is a record I mean, there's, hall. There's five star offensive yeah. linemen that Ohio State's after. This, this, I mean, we kid, but this is a good good year for for Massachusetts. Um, so it's Andrew Raplia, Raplia uh, from Milton, Mass. Had been committed to Michigan for only about a month or so. Committed to Penn State, number three seventy three overall and number nineteen. NC State with a big commitment in state. Uh, got him away from your friend Mac Brown, Ari Javante Vereen, four star, another tight end uh, in state. Uh, top 350 kid. Mississippi State got a four-star offensive lineman from Laurel, Mississippi named Malik Ellis. And not a four-star here, but I put him on here because he's top 400. Rutgers with a three-star offensive lineman from Union City, New Jersey, Jasire Peterson. So I was looking at the class of 2023 guys uh, that have come off the board. So question for both of you. I went by the top 25 players at each position in the class of 2023. Research machine. Which position do you think has the most guys off the board? It doesn't feel like the quarterbacks have have started to fall yet. So I'm going to go with the O-lineman. My guess would be um, it isn't quarterback because if it was, this wouldn't be a question. Right. Um, 
Quarterbacks is second, by the way. It is? Okay, yes. I'm going to go receiver. Shockingly, I don't know what the deal is. 16 of the 25 tight ends are off the board. Oh. Seems very random. <laughs> Limited supply? I guess, but you can sign multiple tight, you know... Yeah, no, but it's I mean, like a fantasy are, draft, though. The second some... number of people who fit the physical yeah. mold skill set that you're looking for. That's that's the only thing I can think of. Yeah, because two of these guys did, I just mentioned were tight ends, too. Did Penn State prompt that research? No, I was because I have a spreadsheet of my the quarterbacks off the board. It's 11 quarterbacks. And then when I was doing research, noticed the two tight ends. I was like, wow, that seems like a lot of tight ends off the board. So then I added. So I'll go tight end 16 of 25, quarterback 11 of 25 safety eight often a uh, defense no excuse me offensive lineman five cornerback and wide receiver four linebacker and running back three and then defensive line only two so i don't know if this fits you know it's like, it reminds me of a fantasy a fantasy baseball draft nobody wants to draft a closer until the first one goes and then when it happens the dominoes start falling and everybody takes them maybe that's what happened at the at the tight end possession yeah, we'll have to ask. That's an interesting stat, though. Yeah. Um, all right, Andy, a couple of weeks ago, we had a good question from the mailbag. Uh, I forgot who it was, but we talked about it. If you if you were starting a Power 5 school from scratch, mm-hmm. where would you put it geographically? Atlanta, Most advantageous Georgia. recruiting spot. In, Atlanta, considering Georgia. that Okay, so you'd be willing to butt heads with Georgia and Georgia Tech. Yes. Okay. I'm, well, I, I would not position it like Georgia Tech. Like I would have majors that are easy. I would be very easy to get into. <laughs> like that. That's what would the, what would the university be called, Andy? <clears throat> the University of Georgia at Atlanta. UG, uh, no. UGA. UGAT. The University of Atlanta. <laughs> yeah. That's well, like it's sort of like USF should be the University of Tampa, but there there's all there's been a private school called the University of Tampa yeah. there forever, so they couldn't call it that, so they called it University of South Florida, which is weird because it's not actually in South Florida. So I was 32 when I found out that I wasn't in. Uh, <laughs> and you're, yeah, you're 32 right now, right? <laughs> I'm 34. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, My answer yeah. was um, San Diego. I figured you had your own city and you're close enough to Southern California that there's enough recruits. I wouldn't put it on the West Coast. Because I, I just I, I can't get the fans fired up. Like yeah. Atlanta's interesting. You know, we didn't th- we I already didn't Ari said Philadelphia. That was yeah. I, I there's so many people in Atlanta and there's so many the good players. Probably Atlanta, Mitch. And right now, so that's why we had him on the show. <laughs> yeah. Because now that he's talking about, it, I'm like, I, I picked Philly over Atlanta. And it took well, him. It took him five Georgia seconds Tech's to come there. up with that. Yeah, You're right. Because yeah. there's a Power Five school already there, and I think that's what scares I, people. I off. think when you originally prompted it, though, you said that doesn't have a Power Five program in it already. Um, I don't remember that specifically because I threw out there another program and even in LA because UCLA doesn't recruit like it should. So I don't think that was one of the parameters. Yeah. So, yeah, I, would you put one in, you could put one in Denver, but, and, and that could be kind of a regional hub kind of place, but Boulder's not far from Denver. So I guess Dallas maybe, but the, the Texas is so there's a power five school in Fort Worth. So, I mean, TCU's yes, you could pri- probably. Is, is TCU private? Yes, I thought so. So you could be University of. Te- I know there is a University of Texas Dallas, or whatever. But you could be the the the, the Texas and Texas, right? And, the, and there is Dallas. a University of Dallas. The difference is, I think University of Atlanta is available as a name. <laughs> we can we can help. we can copyright that name. 
Are you now, on that? What what Could, somebody's yelling at their, their should radio just be Texas Dallas is, University is TDU. Georgia State is already a state university in Georgia that is in Atlanta. Why don't you just make that into a Power Five program? And conceivably, you could. What's I mean, the score Friday Night Lights? West, where he almost took the job. Oh, it's like God, one of my favorite shows of all time. I can't. Texas, remember. No, it wasn't Texas. He didn't call it Texas Western because that's what Utah right. used to be called. West Texas something? No, it wasn't West because it was. Uh, that's a great show. And oh. by the way, and I don't know if we're allowed to talk about this, but yeah. I'm going to anyway. We're allowed to talk about anything. Lila, Lila Garrity, my number one of all time. That's make a make a Kelly. You know where she yeah. went to college but, okay. on the show. Ari. Where did she go to college? I what forget. Do you think? Michigan, Vanderbilt. Oh, she did. Yeah, so, that's right. My friend Lee Jenkins so, tweeted that's it's the, the greatest signee for Vanderbilt ever when Lila Garrity said she was going to Vanderbilt. So, so you know that I played high school football against the actor who played Jason Street, right? I think I've that that rings a bell. <laughs> yeah, Scott Porter played for Lake Howell, and we played. He was he was on varsity. He's a little bit young. I think he's a year or two younger than me. So the only time we would have both been on varsity at the same time was my senior year. And I asked him, I interviewed him once, and I said, what's the most Friday Night Lights finish of any game you ever played in? And he's like, he's like thinking back on it. And I'm like, uh, I'll, spoiler alert, you guys were heartbroken. Oh. And he's like, oh, the Lake Mary game. And I was like, yep, that's right. Because <laughs> it was it was the craziest game. Like the, It was pretty even all the way through, back and forth. Uh, they score to go up like three or four late in the game. We went three and out or something, pun into them. We figure it's over. Their running back takes off and is, is running down the field. He's trying to stay in bounds to keep the clock running. And we Auburn, had this crazy yeah, we had this crazy safety named Donnie Casey, who actually was a member of USF's inaugural signing class in 1996. Uh, Donnie was one of those do-everything guys. Like he played free safety. Uh, he was a tailback and he was nuts. And so he he runs down this running back and this is along our sidelines. So we're all just standing there watching it. And he goes, give me that. And he rips the ball out of his hands. I don't know if Scott, cause Scott was a receiver. So I don't know if he was on the field at the time on this play, but so Donnie just goes, give me that rips the ball out of his hands, turns around and runs into the end zone, like 40 yards away for a touchdown. The, the officials didn't even, couldn't even like they had to huddle to figure out what had happened. So we the won Maurice the game. play, but in high school. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we won the game, but, but yeah, Scott Porter heartbroken on the other sideline. And then he got to be Jason street. And then he you got, know, what was it? He was in a, like a CBS show too. Oh, the good wife for one of those. Was like, I don't, yeah, I don't dude, know. Dude has made some bank over his yeah. career. He's, he's doing all right. This is a recruiting show. And I wanted to ask you this and I think you've touched on it a little bit, like one program, that you visited should have offered you a scholarship and didn't, and it made your mom mad. But do you have Duke. any? I didn't visit them. They they recruited okay. me as a walk on. Yeah. Uh, do you have any recruiting stories or anything that you remember from from your well walk on so recruitment? I guess I had my first beer on an official visit. Yeah, tell us about that official visit. I've, do you want to know what the, about this? Do you want to know what the the lawless renegade school is named that Dartmouth. allowed me Dartmouth. to be served beer on an official visit? Uh, you have the right conference, Princeton, Princeton. It was Princeton. And so I get there and my host, get a, a, a letter in the mail, I think uh, <laughs> sanctions. My, what is the letter, my host, the letter called? My host is this guy named Tom Stanley. He was a defensive end from like West Palm Beach. First words out of his mouth. I signed us up for a bartending class. <laughs> I have never had a drink in my life. And I'm like, all right. 
this is college. Here we go. So, yeah, it was fun. And I mean, when you had, think about keg ragers, you definitely think Princeton. Princeton. No, they had, Ivy League <laughs> kids can pound. Ari. Yeah, they. they, they, they I know. I've seen the social network. Definitely knew what they were doing. <laughs> they had just gotten their '95 Ivy League championship rings. All the players, and so like we'd walk up to the, you know they don't call them fraternities and sororities. They're they're called eating clubs. And so they walk up to the door of the eating club and knock on the door and just like the, the guys on the team just hold out their fingers with the rings on them <laughs> and they just let them in. It was, it great. was great, beautiful yeah. town like Tiger Inn, which was, uh, you know, I, I remember watching because Brooke Shields went to Princeton. I remember she had a TV show. Was it Suddenly Susan? Where she's wearing a Tiger Inn T-shirt, I'm like, oh, I had a, I, I had Milwaukee's best light in a keg in their basement one time. So, um, but yeah, that was it. It the the part, the the problem with that for me, the only the reason I didn't do it because you know, your chance. Yeah, to go I was going to ask you why would have been why awesome. You go to an Ivy League school. Yeah. So they stopped giving athletic scholarships in the Ivy League in the mid '90s. So the, a few years before, there was a guy named David Sprinkle. Uh, who played for Lake Brantley, which was my high school's rival. Uh, he was a full, they were a triple option team. He's a fullback. He was awesome. Uh, I went to, to school with his sister, Beth, in middle school. And David got a scholarship, like an athletic scholarship to Harvard, like full ride to freaking Harvard. And so, yes, if that had been an option for me, I would have absolutely taken it. But at the time, they just banned athletic scholarships in the Ivy League. And it was you fill out the FAFSA and whatever federal aid you qualify for, you get. And I was, you know, my, my parents were high school teachers, so we weren't poor, but we certainly weren't rich. And at the time, if you're in the, if you were in the middle class, you were pretty squeezed. Like they weren't going to give you a ton of money. You're going to be taking out massive loans. And I knew I wanted to be a sports writer. So my thought was I'm never going to make more than 40 grand a year. So why would I, why would I do this? Like, I don't want to be a senator. I don't want to be a lawyer. And because, and like with the, with the Ivy league schools, they'd all recruited me. And Oh, the, uh, the guy who was recruiting me for Harvard was, uh, was Lou Anarumo, the current defensive coordinator. Wait, did you have like a really, really good GPA in high school? Like, were you like a super student? Yes. So that's why you were like rolling your eyes on my 3.0. Cause I was proud of my 3.0. Yeah. I didn't put much effort forth for the, 4.3 4.3 weighted or whatever. But, but I had, also so. very, very solid students. <laughs> so he, didn't, he also gave no, well, gave I, no also, I also had a really good SAT score. That, yeah. So I, I mean, that, that my, is the formula yeah. for Ivy League recruiting yeah. right there. I took so, my SAT without studying for it. My dad dropped me off there in the morning and I was still hung over or and moderately drunk. I took I it. Not I had think a I drink got yet. I didn't, I didn't yeah. have a drink until Princeton. Because it was they, prom they, night. They, it was the morning after yeah. prom night. And I, I got an 11.50 and then my dad took me to Chompies to get pancakes after. My junior year. So that would have never worked. No, I took the so I had really we had a really good guidance counselor at my school who made sure everybody understood the importance of the PSAT. Like if you want to get in the national merit program and all that. So we were very prepared for all that stuff. We had I, I, I that's the, the people at my high school at Lake Mary High School and my parents. They were the ones who made sure I was prepared for all that. They, they did a fantastic I, I feel job bad because I cost my parents a lot of money by not well, here's, here's, much the, effort. here's where I kick myself, though, because obviously everything worked out great. I got to walk on at Florida. I met my wife there, uh, got to work with some amazing people at the school paper that had helped, you know, make me better and, and help me prepare me to be in this in this job. Uh, but if I'd have gone to Princeton, I would have been on the same team as Ross Tucker and Kyle Brandt. And that would have been fun. That would have been a lot of fun. 
You probably also would be living in that beach house that you want to live in uh, down on the panhandle. I still right? would have done it. I, that was the big joke is like I got to SI and there were a bunch of Princeton people in the upper management at SI. Yeah. And then I'm like, oh, well, I would have ended up working in Sports Illustrated. Well, I did that anyway. Yeah, I guess I would have gone to Princeton and just become an investment banker and live like Jordan <laughs> Belfort. But I guess you were different. You know? <laughs> well, I, I would have just hung on Kyle Brandt's coattails, yeah. like <laughs> meet some real world friends. And when he got on Let's, Days of Our Lives, we're like, can I get a walk on in Days of Our Lives? Wow. We, we have somebody who almost got a more prestigious education than, than Mitch on the show. Not almost, not not, well, I, not better, but that's my too, goal. Mitch. So I actually was offered the uh, the Fred Russell Grant Brantland Rice Sports Writing Scholarship at at, at Vandy, uh, but that, that's again, what I attended on. I, it I got only that. paid half, and half was a lot. You know what? When I got it, it was full. So it, oh it, wow, they lost the fun. Yeah, I, I was headed to Tulane. So and wait, my, so did what did, are we all just when Grantland died? Their, did they stop their, funding his? Half? I'll tell you. No, I'll tell you what. Like Fred um, was still alive when it, when I yeah. So when it was, was full scholarship. I was going to go to Tulane. Um, my whole family's from New Orleans, but I applied to Vanderbilt because of the scholarship. And said I'll go there. If I was actually deciding between Tulane and Lehigh, two very very different yep. schools, and then decided to go to Tulane. And at that point, they named they gave the scholarship winner at the Kentucky Derby because it was funded oh, wow. by the it was funded by the thoroughbred. This guy named Charles Sella, who was yeah. part of the Thoroughbred Racing Association of America. So they they had a little committee there. So I found out I was at work at the liquor store. I think I already told you I worked at a liquor store. Some guy named D.K. Smith from Vanderbilt, the most Southern voice I'd ever heard in my life. I think D.K. was still on the job when, yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> when so I got offered he, it. He, so offered me the scholarship. And I think they just, the, the Thoroughbred, this guy, Charles Sella, they just didn't fund it as much um, yeah. with, the, with the scholarship. I think a few years after my group, it was one a year. It was became a half scholarship. So like when I did it, you couldn't say no. Like, what was I wasn't gonna do say no and pay yeah. full freight to Tulane. So well, and, and like, now after when all I was that in hard school, work and accomplishment, you're on a podcast with an idiot that went to U of A. And an <laughs> idiot that went to University of Florida. We're, we're all idiots. <laughs> we're all <laughs> UF wasn't that hard to get into when I got there. When I got into it, uh, and it was free for me. I mean, that was the the deciding factor. Is they had the the Florida Undergraduate Scholars Program, which I think is now called Bright Future. So if you had decent grades in high school, you basically got your tuition covered at a state university in the state of Florida. We'll, we'll get and back then, to recruiting, but you guys, want, yeah. oh, I didn't. Mean I, I have one ahead, more finish, question finish for you. No, I want him to finish. What I year were you? Because I can figure out who got the scholarship the year you ninety six. Was that Tyler Kepner? I don't Wait, know. Well, so ninety three was my friend, my senior year. No, I think Kepner was for you know Tyler Kepner from the New York Times. It wasn't Walken. I know that he's younger. Yeah. He's much younger. Kepner, it was my friend Matt O'Keefe, whom I'm on, I'm on a text thread it wasn't, with right I, It here. wasn't Lee. So No, Lee's younger too. So uh, so it wasn't Kepner. Yeah, so uh, it was it was Matt O'Keefe. When we're done with this podcast, I'll, I'll send Matt a message and he can well, thank you. Well, no, I, there's a great list of people that I keep. Uh, and I, I it's funny because every few years I find another person to add to it of people who turned down the University of Tennessee beat job at the Chattanooga Times Free Press before <laughs> I got it. Like I, I've gotten it up to like six or seven people at this point who turned it down before they offered it to me. Are you like that coach who says I was my wife's seventh choice? You know when he talks. About Absolutely, hundred percent. And I, I use it. I I was using it in an ad read for a while, and, and it's I'm not making it up. It's hundred percent true. Like the, the sports editor when he called me, he said we've offered it to several people, and then huge audible sigh, <sighs> and now we're down to you. 
All right, we do need to move on. All right, but I want to say one thing before okay. we go. Then I got to say one more thing. Because you guys are laughing at me about all your partial scholarships. But we you know what laughing. I found out? You're laughing at yourself. I took the, well, I yeah. took the full one, Ari. Yeah, they yeah, paid me to go to UF. One. Mitch got a, got a full one. I had to pay for my education. And I found out last week that it costs more money to send uh, our six-month-old baby to daycare for a year than my entire college education cost. Well, she'll get a better I, education at daycare than you did, probably. <laughs> Jed Fish is not touching that one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, so we got to move on. But I want. Did you guys think that I thought Tim Riggins was the prototypical college fullback? Like he went offer from San Antonio State. I know he had baggage, but he should have got some high P five offers. Maybe because he's an alcoholic. No, Tim Riggins is Tim Riggins is a classic walk on. Tim Tim Riggins is a scholarship guy in a Power Five program. Uh, that's a walk on right there. I I liked I liked his game. A, he's catch a the ball. Up. No, yeah. he's a screw up. Here, I'll give you Tim Riggins, <laughs> like how Tim Riggins would actually wind up as a fullback in a Power Five program. So he messes around, works for a couple of years. He's not going to college. He just you know college ain't for me. Yeah. So he screws around. He's gonna work with his brother. At a, yeah, bounces. Works with his brother. Bounces at a strip club for a little while, and then at a certain point. He decides I got to get my stuff together, probably because he met a girl and he's like, you know what? I can do I can do better than this. And so he goes to community college for a year, gets his transcript in order, goes to wherever the girl is going to school, whatever large state university girl is going to school at and walks on because he's like he sees he sees some football players jogging by him. He's like, I could take them. Texas Tech. and, and it, right. And then walks yeah. on and he is he is on the kickoff coverage team within like four hours of making the team. And he's drafting the sixth round and we have to hear about his story on draft night all night. Correct. What a, what a great story. So you have to assign me a story that I have to write about that. Yeah, exactly. Um, last minute. It wasn't last minute. It's doing like three <laughs> weeks. You know how many other writers have to do these stories, Ari? <laughs> um, all right, Andy, I want to ask you a question about facilities. You're at Florida mid-90s. And I, uh-huh. we, we always talk about facilities in college football and recruiting, but I think most people kind of forget, especially if you're younger, that that boom did not happen until the late 90s, early 2000s. Nobody and, even thought to ask about that. Here, like, here's they redid our shower in the JV locker room my freshman year, and we were like, awesome. Now the tiles won't be so grimy. Like that That's the only thing we were thinking. Nobody thought about what they have now. Right. I, I heard Jerry DiNardo on an interview here in Nashville a couple years ago, and or maybe it was like 10 years ago, was talking about facilities. And he's like, this is all new. He said, when I left for Vanderbilt to LSU, Vanderbilt, their facilities were the same. This was like in 93. He said it only yeah. happened about five to 10 years later. So Yeah, but, it's almost as if they got a bunch of, of money and had to <laughs> spend it on something. Exactly. So is Florida, have they caught up yet? Well, we won't know until they open the facility at, in the summer. We'll, we'll see. But this feels like kind of the last step that they needed to take. Because when I was covering that program in the mid-2000s, when Urban Meyer got there, he was appalled by the, by That's the what facility, I was which, ask. which yeah. hadn't changed a whole lot since, since the mid-90s at that point. And he begged them to build kind of a front door because you used to have to go if you were going to the coach's office, you just went in this kind of nondescript side door on the side of the stadium and went up a back staircase. And, and then you were in the coach's offices like they wanted something a little more grand than that to show recruits. So they built this kind of glass encased front door area and put the trophies in there. And so they had that. 
But that took a lot of teeth pulling. Uh, he basically had to wrangle the 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 lead donor, who was uh, Bill Hevener, who real estate guy, who happened to be uh, Bob Tebow's college roommate, which helped you know the, the introduction and everything. But that was sort of they didn't get a lot of yeses on that stuff for a long time. Meanwhile, Tennessee is sort of like well, let me interrupt you. Was it because it, they were it down, winning, rebuilding it, tearing it down, rebuilding it? So. Andy, let me interrupt you. How much of that was because they were winning and people were like, why, why, we're winning national championship. Well, why do we need yeah, to do it that? Was, it was Steve Spurrier when he was there would go into Jeremy Foley and make fun of the schools that had indoor facilities or that had uh, fancy football operations buildings. Now, look, 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 fancy rich schools. We don't need any of that. We're, we're winning. And, and Jeremy believed him. Now, the thing is, Jeremy still believed him when Spurrier was gone Spurrier, you know, is at South Carolina going, man, we need better facilities here. And he's then helping raise the money for South Carolina to build the facilities that they now have. Whereas Florida is still saying, well, well, we didn't need it when Steve Spurrier was here and winning X number of SEC titles. So why would you need it now? And what's what's interesting about it is, and this is the I was thinking about this the other day. Let's say this facility is, is beautiful, palatial, whatever, and, and everybody loves it, and it, it finally catches them up. Do facilities matter anymore? Is it all in IL? Everybody already has them. Yeah. 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 We, my, my understanding is that a player would never go to a school because they've got good, good facilities. They might not want to if they have bad ones. Correct. Correct. And look, having to walk across the street to the practice field is not that big of a deal, I don't think. It didn't hurt anybody back in the day. Plus, back now, back then, the O'Connell Center had the inflatable roof. Yeah. So if they opened the doors, the the wind would blast out of the 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 air been, would blast. I, I was out there air. in those times. Oh yeah. So so like after practice, when it's a billion degrees, you could stand there as you're walking back to the stadium and be like, ah. So you can't do that. You won't be able to do that anymore because the the new facility will just dump right out onto the practice field. But they'll have the privacy they want. They, you know. You can't. You won't be able to do things like I did when I was a beat writer, which was camp out in that parking garage and see who walked to practice and who didn't, or who was wearing a, a non-contact jersey and who wasn't. You know, you could you can close a practice, but you can't close a public road. So uh, there was you know a little little less you know mystery at that point. Yeah, I just think that's interesting because a lot of especially younger college football fans probably don't realize what Urban Meyer did. Just you know recruiting wise with the facilities he had competing against who he did when i was at ohio state with urban um we were i will never forget this one of the first years of his tenure we were walking through the facility just me and him oh and he nice? looked it was just like amazing no i mean we were just walking <laughs> through the stadium or i mean through the facilities and he like looked at me and he goes look at these trash cans look at these trash how am i supposed to recruit to these trash cans <laughs> and then a month later Beautiful they had new trash cans. beautiful chrome <laughs> trash cans with big O's probably on them, right? With yeah. big Ohio State logos on them, and I was just like, "Damn!" <laughs> and I think that was like number one thing that you know when people talk about coaches uh, and their job searches, a lot of times people worry about the salaries or the location and the footprint, and all those things are true. But buy in from an administrator that will give you what you need financially to do what you need to do. I think is the most underrated thing when it comes to what we talk about about a job so like as even as we're doing our job rankings andy and i don't know if there's a way to quantify like a scale from one to ten of each position or i mean of each program and what their administrative buy-in is 
But if you do have a coach that can say, you know what, we need something new, or this isn't working for me, or this is going to hurt us, to have your boss say, you know what, we'll write you a check for whatever you want, just go win, I think is invaluable. And I think that might have been one of the main, and obviously he was from Ohio and stuff, but one of the main appeals of that job when he came out of Ohio State, Oklahoma, Georgia. Now, Georgia wasn't like that before, is like that now. But but Oklahoma, we think, is going to be like that going forward. That that was that's actually kind of the sixty-four million dollar question with Oklahoma. Uh, Texas has not been that way. Florida has not been that way. USC Texas A&M is that way I'm now. Sure, Texas A and M is definitely that way now. Was not that way pre Kevin Sumlin. Uh, so that's the that's the thing. I, I do wonder how much does that change with the with NIL. How much do schools care about facilities relative to caring about NIL? Because I, I always explain to people that that not the most recent one with Brady, but the the first Super Bowl the Tampa Bay Buccaneers won with that Warren Sapp, John Lynch, Derek Brooks team, like they were working out of trailers. They didn't have a beautiful facility. Who cared? They signed free agents because they offered them the most money. Yeah, I mean, in, uh, we don't need to get into this, but Ari in your mailbag this week talked about how how we're going to – how will NIL affect how we uh, look at coaches as recruiters? Does it matter as much now to be an ace recruiter if it's all about your collective? Yeah, I, I think it's annoying. One, uh, one could argue that we judged coaches as recruiters without taking that into account before. Already? <laughs> yeah. yeah. With the bag? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You okay? Ari's getting choked out because it's recruiting Now that the bag is legal. <laughs> at, least we pre- at least we could have pretended back then. Yeah, exactly. We um, can't pretend anymore. All right. Did you it's guys... Like, actually, like, how good of a coach would Dan Mullen be if he ended up at, at Program X and they recruited a Georgia roster? The guy might be uh, the best coach in college football right now. Well... The, the question is, would his personality work with players who were getting, you know, significant amounts of money and had so, yeah, some more will, power? I don't know. I'm, I'm not. I think that's part of part of the reason that he kind of burned out a little bit was I don't know that, that he liked the idea of coaching in that environment. I think that matters, too. Because you so got to coach the personalities of the type of kids that only go to a place for money. Yeah, you're you're basically breaking down coaches and how good they are at college the same way you would with an NFL coach. That's, that's yeah. it. No, it, what, it's the same what, thing. What makes a good college coach and what makes a good NFL coach used to be radically different. My guess is those two things are going to converge. All right, did you uh, you guys read? And then oh, my job is going to cease to exist. Yeah, it's okay. Ari. We'll find yeah, we'll find you something I mean, else. Yeah, let's. Uh, we'll make you full time. You'll take Arizona. You cover Arizona. Move back to Tucson. I can't wait to to have a recruiting podcast breaking down trends, philosophy, and, and theory when in three years when all it is is just an open bidding war on eBay. Ari, NFL free agency podcasts do huge numbers. Yeah. Like, what's the difference? No, no, no. I know. It just, it's just, yeah, a, there'll always be a spot for you, Ari. I didn't want to be an NFL reporter. All right. But third time I here, I, Ari. I guess I am now. Okay. Did you read Ubin's story today? I read um, a few of the stories, but not all of them. Okay. But I, so I, mean, you get, you I get was talking C-minus. to Ubin while he was putting together. But I have it bookmarked to read once I was yeah, done but with we're my supposed podcast. To read it before the podcast so we could talk was about it. Was that an assignment? Yeah. It was in my notes, my Slack note to you that I said, let's. Read I've literally story. never read your Slack note once. 
in my entire life. Wow. I'm breaking up with you. I didn't realize berating <laughs> Ari was was so, uh, something you I could have to do hit this back. Way. You should have. <laughs> Andy, today when he was editing my story, he sent me a, a, a message with a sentence that was in it. And he goes, What is. He says, what's wrong with this sentence? And I couldn't figure it out. And he goes, well, oh. you don't know why I sent this to you? And I said, I can't figure out what you're trying to say. A, that's a dad way to do it. Right? Like well, five that's, that's different, kind of I, I like five five different messages. No, no, what's wrong with this picture here? <laughs> yes, <laughs> he did it to me. And I said, on the fifth time, I said, can you stop patronizing me? and Just tell me what I did. And then he pointed it out. And I, I was like, oh, that's obvious. But like, I, I, I wasn't seeing it. It's tough love. So if it's I, tough love, yeah. Ari. So I, I'm going to give you crap back, though, because it's that's the only fine. way I can exist in this job. that's fine. All right, so okay, best, but I, I think the, I'm the familiar best, enough the best with Ubbin story. stories. The the one where the guy that I, I want to know the coach who blew up the family's <laughs> toilet. Well, yeah, I know that one. I've <laughs> also heard there's there's more to it than that. That there may have been a gas station or a drugstore <laughs> bathroom also blown up on the same <laughs> visit. Um, the pit bull one was was pretty good, where they basically put this giant pit bull next to the coach and, to see how the coach will respond. And and the dad at the end, you did fine, coach. You did fine. The test. I would my be. Favorite, Ari and I have my talked favorite about, one from the ones that I read was the the. Uh, I like the, the one horse. where the the guy's hearing aid broke their television. <laughs> I like the I guy. Still the, don't did you read the horse? How that, the, yeah. the guy with a horse in front of Kentucky Fried Chicken. But yeah, I would be a terrible recruiter because I'm scared of dogs, and I couldn't be. I don't like being around dogs, and I can't eat anything. Andy, I've got celiac disease, so I can't have. Gluten. Could you imagine going so I, into every single person? Well, my home my and wife saying, has celiac, so I, I know exactly how. Imagine how hard going that to some grandma explained. and trying to explain yeah. to her I can't eat her fried chicken because yeah. I can't have. She would look at me like I'm crazy and tell me yeah. to eat it. Yeah, and 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 what's funny is people who've never experienced it or don't know anybody who are, they're like. Well, I couldn't not eat cake. I'd just eat cake and deal with the consequences. No, you would not. No, you wouldn't. Because <laughs> Britt has it too. And uh, when she acts and like she has it where if she even has a, anything small on accident, her night's over. And I don't mean it in a gross way. I mean like physical no, no, pain and, in her and, stomach. And, and, yeah. and it can go, the symptoms can go for, you know, up to a week, depending on how, how much the ex- exposure you got. So I sometimes think that I would be a much healthier person if I had it. You would be. No. Yeah, no, I mean, because, you think I would- I, okay, here's the thing. I, I appreciate all the bougie people going gluten free, thinking it's healthy because it, it has produced a lot, like a wider, people. a wider array of options yeah. for my wife as, when we eat out. True. But as someone who has to cook with all the, the tapioca flour and the rice flour and, the, and all that, the calorie difference is negligible. In no, fact, I know, but I'm saying you take every single fast cases. food restaurant off the board. True. Yeah, just, I don't take every pizza, pizza place off the board. Gluten-free pizza is not as good. It's I don't eat the dessert. I know you just like eat that. crap that you're allowed to have. Like you would just go eat a bunch of potato chips and stuff. Um. So Andy, I assume are have you ever been to Dreamland? Andy, I know you. I assume you have. Yeah, that's the the place in all the Tuscaloosa. tourists go in Tuscaloosa yeah. when you should be going to Archibald. The yes. barbecue, yeah. right? Yeah. So I've yes. actually never been to Archibald. I've, been I've only been to Dreamland, and I've never been to Archibald. Yeah. But um, driving through uh, in college, we went to New Orleans for spring break, so we were driving through Tuscaloosa. And I was the only one who had been to Dreamland. We had eight guys. Oh, well, but, this this was, and this yeah. was, it was when it was good. Yeah. Yes. This is the original on Jug Factory Road. Yes. This is so, when Dreamland was still good. Yes. So I think we had eight guys. One of my buddies borrowed his mom's van and not like a minivan, one of the old, like, old school, <laughs> yeah. old school vans. And I was the only one who had been to Dreamland. So we had eight people there and I ordered, I said, we'll take, and one of my buddies was sick and was on some medicine or something and was driving. So I said, we'll take eight racks of ribs. And seven Bud Lights. And this old waiter looks at me. He goes, what's wrong? 
And I said, well, he's kind of sick. And he looks at him and goes, there ain't shit wrong with him and brings him a Bud Light. So the guy nice. brought eight. It was, it was great. So And then because uh, that was back when Dreamland, the, the menu consisted of you could order a rack of ribs or a half rack of ribs and they would give you and white bread. of white bread. With white bread. Yes. yes. Yeah, I went there. I went there. Okay. I didn't right, go. I, I've never. I wanted to be included, but I've never been to Archibald's. So yeah, how, I mean, I, I, I've heard you. I've heard other people talk about Archibald's. Is that new? Relatively no, new? No, it's actually okay. older. It's um, just Dreamland was yeah. still great then. Well, I don't know if it's older, but they're both very old. Like okay. Archibald's is basically some guy's house in Northport. And oh, wow. it's been around for a long time. And the line is out the door pretty much every day. And there, there's a, it's a family business. The other members of the family have opened other barbecue places in town under the name Archibald and Woodrose. It's not quite the same, not as good. Uh but the original Archibalds, the ribs are fantastic. The Dreamland, from what I understand, is when they got bought out, it the quality you know control was was kind of lost, and they tried to franchise out to a bunch of places. So it it used to be legendary, and now if you go a lot of because I've been you know since all this, and it'll be like if there's a crowd, they just crank up the heat and dry them out, and, and it's not very good. Archibalds, if they they're gonna cook them one way, and if it doesn't work or if, if they're out, they'll be like, oh, "We'll see. We'll reopen in four or five hours. Let you know." So, yeah, they're. Uh, I mean, this is this was probably ninety two, ninety three. So this was back in probably the heyday there. Um, yep. All right, let's hit the mailbag. Some questions, Andy. I pulled this one specifically for you. We talked about Florida a little bit earlier, but this is from Branson S. What is your opinion of the early progress made by Billy Napier in his army at Florida? Do you think he can make a measurable dent in the per, on the pervasive poaching that Kirby Saban and others have done on the talent in the Sunshine State? So Florida has figured out the price of admission. I, will it work? We don't know. That 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 is a bigger question that that requires you know luck and some other stuff. But they figured out what the price of admission is to be competitive in the SEC now. And so when you look and uh, Napier gets there and he, he signs a safety who had been considering Georgia, like that, that's a big moment because the, the Florida wasn't beating Georgia head-to-head -head for a lot of players. And now you're getting players who are coming to see Florida who are also coming, you know, players who are considering Georgia and considering Alabama. And that's not who Florida was kind of in the mix for the previous two administrations. They, they, every once in a while they would be, but... But now it's it's more a regular occurrence. So they definitely have that part figured out. Staffing-wise, they seem to understand what they need from a manpower standpoint. Whether it's going to work or not, again, another question because Kirby's got it rolling at Georgia. And what Mario can do at Miami, if they are funding it the way they claim that they're funding it, there's a real good chance Mario is going to be able to, to lock down some of those South Florida players down there. So it... Billy's job got harder because Miami decided to play the game this way. But that doesn't mean you can't do it. There's still lots of good players in Florida. There's still players in Georgia and Alabama and, and Louisiana and Texas who will come to Florida. So if, if you can build that, you know, build up that reputation that you are going to be a place that that goes after the best and wants to have the best come play there, you got a chance. But you got you got to get them, and then you got to coach them with wins on the field, and we won't know until we see them play. Andy, was there a single commitment during the Dan Mullen era that was as impressive as what they did with Kamari Wilson last year? 
No, because they, they just didn't. I mean, uh, Gervon Dexter, I guess, would be the 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 biggest one in terms of Where's who he they from? were up against. He's uh, Dexter's from no, Miami. Dexter. Wilson. He's from Miami. Yeah, okay. I thought he was a Florida guy. Sorry, what are your thoughts on? I mean, I know you've been pro. You've been it. pro Napier. I mean, yeah. I, well, I mean, I've been pro Napier because he did something right out of the gate that Florida had seemingly lost the ability to do, and that was on the job for what? Oh, a month. Dexter's Two from weeks. Lake Wales. I apologize. So, <clears throat> and now, if you like, notice too, like in the the return of uh, this week in recruiting is back. By the way, guys. Yeah. I, I don't Check know. it out today. We're, we're 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 back to doing it weekly now that things are starting to ramp up, but. Florida and all the recruits that I was writing about today and all the recruits that I seem to be like, you know, I peruse 247 profiles all day, every day. Florida is in the mix with everybody. And that was not the case six months ago. Two of those so, five stars yeah, in we, Alabama we, that we talked yeah, about. Yeah, and when you, when you asked me, am I, am I all in on, on Napier? I guess I don't know how to answer the question before I see the results, but in terms of the early returns, I mean, there's a clear night and day difference with what Florida is doing from from just an involvement standpoint, yeah, I think it, that there's not a, there's not an active resistance to doing what you have to do to win in the SEC. Which before it kind of felt like, oh, we, you know, the, the attitude in the in the in the program was, you don't need to do that stuff. You can just out coach him, and that's why Kirby said what he said after the Florida Georgia game this year. Like you can't out coach talent. Dude, that Kirby was a the man fired. He did. He, he really did. That was a direct shot. And it was also 100% true. So, And how do you get six six top 100 players? Because you're involved with 30 of them now. Right. So Napier clearly understands the process of how that works. He's just got to make it work and, and complete the process. So that's, that's what I'm interested to see. I, I went on Feinbaum last week and, and mentioned that they probably have the toughest opening duo of any, any team in the country. Like if you... You look at every schedule, there's some teams that have a tougher opener, but to go Utah, Kentucky right in a row, that's pretty rough. Now, they get them both at home, but this is this may be a summer of managing expectations ahead of that. But so, even though Kentucky's had success against Florida, those aren't two programs that jump out to a lot of Florida fans and are like... What? I think Utah does only because Urban Meyer came from Utah, so a lot of people yeah. kind of pay attention to them. I'm not sure that the average fan understands like how good Utah was last year and, and what they're bringing back. Right. But, right. But I do, it, it, it'll be interesting because I think that's one where I would imagine Utah's probably favored. Those are the worst games for coaches. It's like basketball playing a really good mid major on the road, like where the coach knows that, you know, that's going to be a really good I mean, they were the Pac 12 champs last yeah. year. It's pretty, yeah. <laughs> so, so, yeah, that, that's the, that's going to be interesting to see because. If they can split those two, I think that bodes well for them. But th- this roster that they that they brought back is not what it needs to be, and they'll tell you that right now. And that, but the they're also Napier. I, I've been impressed has they've not made a lot of excuses. And a lot of times you get a new coach in, and, and he's giving all these coded messages about, oh, this the, I, what I inherited stinks. And I was afraid he, he was at the beginning because he did start up with the stars don't matter crap on his first, and I just it, I, I, it turned I, I, out th- people were. We're yeah. misunderstanding him, me included, but I was like, yeah, oh boy. I think, I think what he's saying is what I inherited is what I inherited, but I, I will not make excuses for it. I, I've heard him say that multiple times. I have no excuses. I've heard him say multiple times. So I, they're working on the rest of it. The yeah. That point forward, I think, you know, they're, they're going to work to improve the roster, but they got to deal with what they, what they inherited. So 
that part I am just fascinated by because this what was left at the end of last season was not what you expect to see from a Florida roster. It just wasn't. So that they're they're going to have to coach their butts off to get a halfway decent result. All right, two more questions. Ari, we have addressed this on the pod before, but I think sometimes we make the assumptions that we know how the media works and fans don't or people are curious about stuff like this. So Logan T asks, when a sports writer or recruiting service publishes a forecast or a crystal ball for a recruit weeks or months before the player has verbally committed, what information are they receiving to come to that conclusion and from whom do they receive it? One of the coaches going, we got him. I mean, a lot of times. Or a recruiting staffer, that sort of thing. Yeah. It's and, these, and, these coaches and then, can't publicly on the record, they can't comment on the recruits, but yeah. you know, they, that's that's how information is shared. I mean, these guys at work at two four seven are the ones that are doing the crystal balls. And yeah. I know there are some people who don't work at two four seven that also have access to doing them, right? But right. These guys but, are talking to these kids and their families and assistant coaches and recruiting staffers twenty four hours a day and I think that it's easy to get a pulse of where you think somebody's going early if if multiple people are telling you, hey, also, this is it, where it's shredded. With with the recruiting sites, their networks, which which helps as well, because let's say school school X has a staffer tell their person, hey, we got this guy. Well, school Y is also allegedly in the mix for this guy. So that guy, the the, the guy who covers school X is going to call the guy who covers school Y and go. Do they think they're out or do they think they still have a shot? And when the guy who covers school, I goes, yeah, they're out. They're, they're not. Then, okay, crystal ball. Like that they have, they have some checks and balances there that help uh, when, because the crystal ball thing, I, I, those guys don't take it lightly. Like they don't like to be wrong. Well, they have egos about their percentages. Yeah. And yeah. The one thing I've never understood about the crystal ball thing is, and maybe there's an answer to this. I'll have to call Steve Weltfong. He'd tell me. But if you put in a crystal ball for somebody in July to program X, and then at the end of the road, he flips to program Y, and you found out an hour before he did it, and you crystal ball them there, do you still get a hit for that? You can change your crystal ball. I don't know about so that. So if you late. change your crystal ball late in the process, like it's easier to get a higher hit right. ratio. I don't know the mechanics of Because like the, I, I think that the crystal ball isn't so much a, a tool to – predict where the person is going to actually end up. I think it's a tool to give an indication in the recruiting profile to the fans and the people reading the profile of where that person is trending in the moment. All right. Good, good answer. Logan T has another question. This one's fun. I haven't really thought about it too much, but I thought both you guys would enjoy it. If colleges could trade signed commits like the NFL can trade draft picks, what type of deals might we see done? For this hypothetical, let's say that the commits could only be traded after they signed, but they enroll. If I'm interpreting this correctly, could you sign two top 100 guys for a junior quarterback who started five games the previous year? I, I guess that's what he's getting at. Like, would Oklahoma have traded Spencer Rattler for a bag of Fritos? I don't think it would be a bag of Fritos. I think they could have traded yeah, no, him they, for... No, they could get a lot. Yeah, yeah. yeah they, they could have traded him for something. Guy. And, and I think... I mean, that's isn't that kind of what is happening? Like the the Browns are going to sit there and wait to see if somebody needs a quarterback, and then try to trade Baker Mayfield and get something out of him or uh, Jimmy Garoppolo once he has his surgery. That the the 49ers are going to see what the market yeah. is and then trade him. So I think yeah, teams would sign too, more. Is that teams would be even more willing to sign multiple five stars in a class if you could trade them. Well, then that would just be asset collecting, yeah. of course. Yeah. I mean, I think what do you mean would be more willing to sign five star prospects? 
they're everybody's willing to fight. Well, sign no one five signs two prospects. fives. Very few sign. I mean, in- it's not because they're not willing. Who who's not willing? True. Everyone's willing. I mean, we talk about how some programs like Oklahoma didn't want to sign five stars in back to back years because they wanted to spread out. Yeah. Well, I think the that's quarterback, quarterback is the only place right. where you might even yeah. right. have a, an issue there. Like when you can't trade them. You don't want to sign two five-star quarterbacks every year. You don't want – I mean, I know guys would leave, but you don't want eight scholarships tied up on quarterback. No, you can't. I mean, you do have some numbers you got to deal with. Like, right. yes, you will take all the five-star defensive linemen who want to sign with you, all the five-star offensive linemen, because you have multiple places to put them on the field. Could you imagine signing a letter of intent with USC out of high school and then they shipped you off to Washington <laughs> <That's right>. State? <laughs> It'd be crazy. Well, I mean, Sorry, that's what NFL people have to do. That, yeah. That's the thing with the draft. Like, you know, everybody's like, well, why can't they ever get parity? The NFL has a draft like there. You're never going to have a draft with the number one pick. UConn selects <laughs> Malachi. Moving to stores, dad. Way. Yeah, yeah, that's hilarious. Uh, right. That's a funny question. Yeah, that's a good I question. Like, like, that's a good question. Uh, people would be people would be waiting till the uh, till the beginning of the fall camps to make sure that. They're not trading for somebody who's going to enter the portal anyway, um, or trying to like. Sh- yeah, it'd be funny too if you could if you could trade spots in on your roster like scholarships, like a team could trade for like fifteen extra scholarship <laughs> spots so that they have a hundred scholarships and then Team B only has seventy. Uh, that'd be hilarious. How would co- coaches in the hot seat would be just wheeling and dealing? They'd be trading twenty scholarships <laughs> be amazing. For, for two offensive. Yeah, linemen. I would. If I, I'd be like, hey, yeah, I'll, so I'll give you. I'll give you. I, I, my my roster would be thirty scholarship <laughs> spots of only five star prospects. Well, and but this <laughs> this brings in the the very real possibility that like the head of your your school's collective is going to become your school's de facto GM, and yeah. like if if they ever get crossed with your school's coach and you have like a Trent Balky Jim Harbaugh situation, like who's going to win the power struggle? Yeah, well, here guys, this is another question in the mailbag that I almost answered, but I wanted to say for the podcast. And Mitch, I'm sorry for taking your job from you, but you might have already used this. But someone asked an interesting question, and I thought it was it was worth discussing. Um, will the collective world in the NIL world make it so that scholarship totals are irrelevant um, because they're handing out so much money in NIL that these kids will be willing to pay for their education? If there's more than 85 scholarship worthy there, players, there's a, a there's a more there's a more important number than 85, as as far as that goes. 20 and it's 22. Yeah, uh, we we know Matt Castle's name. We we know his story because it's so rare. You still got to play to make it to the NFL. So you you can stockpile a bunch of guys, and and if you have a bunch of NIL money, you could have like 25 more de facto scholarship players. They're all going to leave because they're not playing. Well, are, yeah, uh, Andy, I true. wanted to ask you this when I, I did see that question, and I know for the most part, scholarship player and walk-on players. And you were you you were walk-on your entire career, uh, they, they, such as it was. Okay, so walk-ons like if you're not part of the program, you don't necessarily know the difference, right? Like you, you know, I traveled with Vanderbilt. I couldn't tell you who the walk like they they ate the same meals. It, it depends there, on the program. Some programs treat them very differently. Yeah. Some programs like I, I I explain this to people like Steve Spurrier's program. When you were on the team, you were on the team. And it was a matter of could you play or could you not play? Like uh, there was a, a guy named Alex Willis who was in the same walk-on class as me. I didn't even know it was a walk-on for the first like two weeks I was there. He was that good. Mm-hmm. And he wound up being a scholarship receiver and contributing. And But you ate all the same meals and everything? Well, that was different back then. You couldn't be part of the same meal. You couldn't be part of the, the, 
the training table stuff and all that back then as a walk-on. Now you can. That's my question. So, if, if you're afforded yeah. all the same luxuries as a scholarship player, yeah, and you have it, NIL it really, money, it really comes down to how you play. Yeah. What did you eat? I had a meal plan. Just like a I, normal I, student, right? The, the dining hall had just opened. So the first couple of weeks when they were bringing random muckety mucks through the dining hall, the food was fantastic. And then it got real bad real fast. The thing I don't understand, though, is, is if you don't eat with the training table, because these guys eat in the buildings now. So I guess a but lot this, of was, this was maybe. very different than Ari. Like the football, like I, I, the, their, most of their meals, uh, like the scholarship players were in the same dining hall as me. Same. Oh, okay. So you still so, get to eat with your friends. Yeah. 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 So it wasn't, okay. it wasn't like that. There was, I was just like felt bad for people who don't get to eat with the team. I'd be like, well, what are you going to do? Just go eat by yourself? Yeah, like but, that, but that was I mean, then like there was a middle period there where a walk on would have not been able to eat like training table meals. And now now they can. Yeah. All right. Ready for a little trivia. Let's do it. OK. Andy, how many top 100 pl- or name the top 10 players that Florida's have signed in the history of their program? If the 247 Johnson, if the 247 composite existed in the mid 90s what would andy staples national rank be that's not my question zero zero okay um but national rank like 12 would not be ranked at all okay Wouldn't, i i would have been i would have been like a, a two-star or no star okay uh real quick here trivia how many teams that had multiple five stars on their roster last season had a losing record Ooh. and i went multiple five stars because you have the random bounce backs and, okay you know, uh, okay, that was just and in the transfer like, portal yeah, too. On though. their roster, like not a signee, yeah. like so, like one team. It wasn't Charlotte, but someone like Charlotte had a five star. Right. But like, like at Florida, Justin Shorter still counts as a five star, yes, yes. even though he signed as a five star with Penn, Penn State. State. Wow, okay. how long did it take you to look that up, man? No, I mean, I just went to the talent composite. And I know off the top of my head which team. I oh. know someone went nine and three. I mean, I had to look. Right. A few teams went six and seven or seven and six. It didn't take me long. Okay. Um, well, because I don't even know how many. We know that I don't even know Texas how many. In Florida. We know. We know they yes. finished below five hundred. Um, a bunch of teams went six and seven. So don't don't think bowl games like. Okay. A lot of power five teams that lost. So bowl was game. it? You said at least two five stars. Yes. Washington might be one, right? That is correct. Twelve was it? Twelve total. Eight. Eight. Okay. Eight. Okay. LSU. So we named three of them. LSU, Florida, mm-hmm. USC. Texas, Auburn, Washington, North Carolina, and TCU and, and Ari. This is not good for your brand. Four of Maryland. the top eleven teams in the team talent composite had losing records last year. Did wow. you just name out all of them? What all eight that had the, losing yeah, records. Yeah, LSU, Florida, oh. USC, Texas, Auburn, Washington, North Carolina, and TCU. TCU had multiple five star. Zach Evans was on their team last yes, year. Yes, that's the. These teams have, are you giving saying, us the answer? Yes. I don't understand what you're I doing. I the answer. <laughs> oh, you, did you say Mary? Oh, I was <laughs> just, why are you telling us the answer? Yeah, Andy. I know Andy has to go soon, so we had oh. you know we we're trying to cut things short here. I was actually going to try to get this right. You didn't say Maryland. I know Maryland had two five. They went seven and did six. They have a winning. They did. Yeah. So oh. there's a lot of that you know that seven and six is winning record. Six and seven. Hey, oh, excuse me. De- okay. De- Carry and Joiner making sure that uh, that North Carolina. Had a had a below five hundred record. Although I guess South Carolina, South Carolina probably South Carolina went seven and six. Right. So if if that result had changed, I think South Carolina probably was had he a five two. star. I thought he was a high four. I think he was a four star. Yeah, yeah. But South Carolina on the D line, they had two, but they were seven and six. So yeah. So whoever had won that game, the other one was going to be on this list. Yeah. So Ari, all right, Andy, I appreciate you uh, stopping by and being our first two time guest. Hey, you are a 
You're a two-time guest with a winning record. I appreciate you. And two-time uh, winner, I'll take it. Yes. Yeah, I'll probably talk to you later today. <laughs> um, <laughs> All right, I'll see you guys. Uh, Mitch, uh, thanks so much for being an awesome host. I thought that was an interesting show. Yeah, good show. Um, and good to times. all of you guys uh, who have continued to support Stars Matter throughout the years, or the weeks, or the months, however long it's been, we really appreciate you, and we'll catch you guys next week. 